How cool is that? I just got schooled by kids on what the Holy Spirit is, and I love that. I love that. Parents, fantastic. Uh, our Hope kids, what a great job they've done in journeying with us, and we've got so much that we can learn from, from our children. And as a little kid, I would ask you this question. What did you think? Do you remember what you thought of the Holy Spirit when you were a little child? Do you have any thoughts that you want to share with your children as, as you grew from a, a limited understanding to a greater understanding? I'm sure we all did. I'm sure we all did. We could sort of understand God, the person, as we hear him in the Old Testament, and Christmas makes it easy for us to connect with his son, but what about, what about the Holy Spirit? For me, my first real, real feeling or sense of the Holy Spirit came in a church that I grew up in, and it happened during worship. The church just loved, loved, loved to sing. And there was something that would change when certain songs would get sung. And I had my favorite hymns that I loved to sing. Whenever the minister would stand there, and he was a, an old Dutch guy, and he would go, brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, open your hymnal to number 444. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. And I would sit there, and I would anticipate it, and I would anticipate it. I was waiting for him to stop write, reading out the text, and I would grab the pew in front of me because I wanted to stand up because I knew the organist was going to pound on that pipe organ. Some of you are going to have to explain what a pipe organ is to your children. He would pound on the pipe organ. The, the rafters would shake. The lead in the stained glass windows would reverberate and probably break, and everybody would stand up, and they would sing at the top of their lungs. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. I had no clue what bulwark meant, but it had three letters at the beginning of the word that sounded like bull, and I thought, okay, it's got to be strong. When I got older, I understood that a bulwark is a defensive wall. It's something on the side of a ship. When the walls of a ship come up to protect the people from the seawaters coming over it, it's something that protects us. So it made all the more sense that God was a mighty fortress for me. There was another song that I just loved. It was called Creator Spirit by Whose Aid. Creator Spirit by Whose Aid. Does anybody remember that song? The second verse goes, O source of uncreated light, the Father's promised paraclete. Thrice holy fount, thrice holy fire, our hearts with heavenly love inspire. Come and thy sacred unction bring to sanctify us while we sing. Another song we just sang with all we had. I had no clue what a paraclete was and I had no clue what an unction was, but I later figured that out. A paraclete is a counselor, like wonderful counselor, mighty God. Parakletos, which is the other Greek word, means advocate, and that's where we're anchoring, that's where we're anchoring our message series, on this idea of this advocate, this wonderful counselor, the Holy Spirit that comes into us. But I also had no idea what unction meant until I looked it up. So if we were to read this, we know the Father's promised Holy Spirit, and come thy sacred unction, come thy sacred anointing of the Holy Spirit bring to sanctify us while we sing. Our church could sing. We could sing like no tomorrow. And that's when I first felt the Holy Spirit in a place because it was different. It was palpable. I don't know whether it was songs that parents, uh, grandparents passed on to parents that passed on to us, but I remember, I remember something different as we sung some of those songs. Something had changed, reverberated in the DNA, reverberated in the souls of my parents, my grandparents, and my great-grandparents that I couldn't really answer, but I could feel it. It was palpable. 
Songs like this, that just, that the, the Spirit moved in the place. Songs like God himself is with us. Let us now adore him and with awe appear before him. God is in the temple. All with him keep silent. Prostrate lie with deepest reverence. Him alone, God we own. Him our God and Savior. Praise his name forever. God himself is with us. Hear the harps resounding. See the crowds, the thrones surrounding. Holy, holy, holy. Hear the hymn ascending. Angels, saints, their voices blending. Bow thine ear to us here. Hear, O Christ, the praises that thy church now raises. For my grandparents, my great-grandparents, and my parents, singing these songs Singing these songs was like it was like a compounding of tragedies of tens of millions of peoples, loved ones, and lives lost in World War I, World War II. Fifty million more people lost to the Spanish flu, followed by the Great Depression, followed by persecution followed by an immigration away from a homeland to a new land, all compounded into the feeling that was met by the promised reality that through all trials, all tragedy, all circumstances, God himself is with us. So as we dive deeper into the understanding of the who that is the Holy Spirit, the who that is the Holy Spirit, what would happen if we spent time contemplating, journaling, all the times in our lives that we experienced the living God living in us, felt his power, and felt his presence? Why does it matter? Because it changes us. It continues to change us. It changed me. It can change you. Commentaries say that the Holy Spirit is the unction to the function. The anointing of the Holy Spirit enables and activates us to move towards something. Whether that's joy, peace, faithfulness, goodness, a mission, a vision, a change of heart. It moves us towards the purposes of God. And when we receive, the, we receive the Holy Spirit, when we accept Christ, whether through baptism or public profession of faith, when we receive Christ, we are anointed or baptized with the Holy Spirit to do things that we never thought we could ever do. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. And so as we dive into John 14, I would invite you to find a posture that would allow you to discover more of who the Holy Spirit is in you. Before we jump into our text, I invite you to pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for our community and all the lives that we touch, whether they are ours, our friends, our neighbors, or strangers, each and every day. Father, we pray that through this series that we would have a greater understanding of the advocate, the wonderful counselor that you have given to us to walk with us. 
Father, I pray that the words that you have put on my heart through this text out of John 14 would resonate in even one heart, one mind, that would move somebody on the journey to a deeper relationship with you so that their faith may grow, they may believe more, belong more wholly, and bless others like they've never blessed others before. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to John chapter 14. We're going to start at uh, verse 15. But before we get there, I just want to sort of set it up a little bit. Just want to set it up a little bit. In in John 14 and 13, um, as we head into our text, Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand that he will be leaving them and is comforting them with something that the Father is going to send. You know, Philip in uh, verse 8, and Jesus responds in verse 9, says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? So there's this doubt, there's this misunderstanding of who Jesus was, and so Jesus is in the midst of that, and then he's trying to comfort them. And in my Bible, the the title of this section says, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to start at verse 15. And it goes like this. If you love me, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, says Jesus. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replies, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home in them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teachings. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, Jesus said. Peace My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. And do not be afraid. You know, if we were to summarize this text, Jesus is reminding the disciples of a few things. He's saying, remember what I said. God and I are one. We are the same. There's this great love that our text says numerous times. This love between God and God and Jesus, and those that love him. And we're not supposed to forget that. He is leaving, Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. The Father is going to bring something. And that's where the disciples get hope, because they were distraught that Jesus was leaving, and they were going to be left all alone. Jesus said, after I leave, the Father will send an advocate, a helper, the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, And maybe you're like me, maybe you're not, but how many times have we used the Holy Spirit as a fire hose of hope? Sort of in a transactional way, for an infusion of energy or power or life, or maybe just to get us through the day. 
or this storm or the next. And although the Holy Spirit can provide a temporary relief or infusion from the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is not intended, never was intended to be a temporary fix, not at all. It's not a superhero coming to our rescue. The Holy Spirit is so much more desiring to be in relationship with you and with me. An advocate, a counselor, walking and living with us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There is this complexity as we seek to understand the Trinity, just as there is to the Holy Spirit that most of us, myself included, don't quite grasp or understand. And yet, as we delve into Scripture, we begin to capture a glimpse of the fullness of God. We can't begin to understand the Holy Spirit without the Father and the Son, and we can't begin to understand the Father and the Son without the Holy Spirit. They are inextricably linked, linked to each other and to us through this thing called love. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? The gospel battleground, the gospel battleground lies in the messiness that lives between those that know and love him and live in relationship with him, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and those that don't. Our scripture is very clear. You're either with us or you're not. You either believe or you don't. You either are of the world or in the world. You know, I've heard people ask before, so in the Old Testament, we see this relationship between God and his people, and in the New Testament, because of the Christmas story, we understand Jesus, and Jesus there, and then this, the Holy Spirit came, and, but we never really see God in Jesus anymore. So where is God? And unless you dig into Scripture and you understand the wholeness of the Trinity, that's a fair question. But as a Christian, we know exactly where God is. God is our advocate, our counselor, he lives, our text says, with you, that's Christ. I'm living with you and will be in you, that's the Holy Spirit, to come, the advocate, the paraclete. He's coming in this next testament, not the Old Testament, not the New Testament. We live in the testament of the Holy Spirit, and we are a testament to the goodness of God as we live. So how do we embrace and live out our lives as living testaments to the purposes of God? How do we actively become part of God's redemptive plan? How do we do that? Well, first, we need to recognize ourselves in the plan that God has. Diane prayed for it earlier as she prayed uh, an understanding of who we are in all that God has made us unique. We need to live into the knowledge that when we accept Christ into our lives, God himself is with us, living in us and is well in us. It's a posture of us being the dwelling place of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit abides in us. Three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we look at Isaiah 9, we know this, this chapter from Christmas where we, you'll recognize this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. If you look at the mighty God, he is made up of three persons. Wonderful counselor, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, everlasting father, and Jesus was known as the Prince of Peace. Even in Isaiah, in the Old Testament, there is a recognition of the wholeness of God. We have the fullness of God, the source of living water, living in us, the advocate, the counselor, the advisor, the legal defender, the mediator, the intercessor, the paraclete. And we must also remain in. We need to embrace this call that God calls us to as we are active 
pieces of his redemptive plan to a world that so desperately needs him. John 15, I preached on that a month, a month ago, talks about that. How do we embrace and remain in? How do we remain in Christ when we face troubles, hardships, famine, or persecution? We need to turn or return, reorient ourselves to God. So what does reorient mean? Well, reorienting is beginning to live out the call that God's got on our lives. Reorienting ourselves means we move ourselves from the throne room and replace it with Christ. We get pushed down a notch. And then Christ Christ instructs us to love others as we love ourselves. So we need to put Christ on the throne room, then we need to bless and love others, and then we find ourselves. And when we reorient ourselves, and it's a lifelong project for all of us, when we reorient ourselves, we become the fruit-bearing witnesses of God's grace through things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit is amazing. Look what he did in Acts 10. The book of Acts is all about the the work of the Holy Spirit and the movement of the the new church, Christ's church. In Acts 10, there's this really cool story about Cornelius and Peter, two different people in two different places. They both have a vision. The Spirit comes on them, and they have a vision to do the exact same thing. God is working in two people in two different places and brings them together, and it transforms Peter's life. Peter was raised to understand that there was all these rules and regulations, what you could and couldn't eat, and God says, you'll remember this from a few weeks ago, uh, where, where the Spirit came on them and God said, do not call anything unclean that I call clean, and it transformed his life. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. In Peter, who was one of Jesus' followers, how cool is that? That is an ex- just one example in Scripture of how strong and powerful and mighty the Holy Spirit is. And when we live courageously into that, we can change ourselves and help to change other by others by bringing them into a living relationship with Christ. Now, we may all experience God in a different way. We may have a greater affinity to God, we may have a greater affinity to the Son, and we may have a greater affinity to the Holy Spirit. We're all wired a little bit differently, but we are called ultimately to recognize a balance of the Trinity. The objective is that we learn to live in the fullness of God by living into the fullness of all three persons. When we limit one, we begin to limit experiencing the fullness of God. It's difficult for me to explain this, so I've um, poached some information from Christian Schwartz. He would, some of you may know him. He was the author of the Natural Church Development, which helps churches identify areas of strengths and weaknesses and to become better uh, churches in serving the world around them. And he's written a number of books. One is called The Three Colors of Love. The other one's called The Three Colors of Ministry, The Three Colors of the Trinity. Um, And I'm sort of going to take bits and pieces of all of that to help us understand why it's so important to have a healthy balance to experience the fullness of the three persons of the Trinity, including the Holy Spirit. So, slide one. You guys will see this. You have God in the middle, who is the Father, is the Son, is the Holy Spirit. It's the three colors, as Christian Schwartz says, of the Trinity. So this is a visual that I hope will help us. Just to clarify, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Son. They are three distinct persons in one being, God. If we move to the next slide, as we learn to live into the work of the Trinity in our lives, our journey to finding balance in them becomes vital for living out of our faith. So that yellow circle is 
a whole, well-balanced um, version of the Trinity living in and through us. In the next slide, if we lean too far in one direction, we can become unbalanced and miss out on, the live and, on living into the fullness of all that God is. What we see here is a little bit of an unbalance. Now, this, if I think of my growing up, this would probably be the closest to how I experienced the Trinity um, when I grew up in church. I heard a lot about the Father. I heard a lot about the Son. But the Holy Spirit was sort of kept off to the side a little bit. And so this would represent myself as I view the Trinity growing up. The goal in my life, then, is to draw that back, to try to discover more of who and what the Holy Spirit is in my life, who that third person of the Trinity is, and the power and the infusion that I can receive from that third person of the Trinity. And so what we look for in the next slide is that balance again. So if God in three persons intended us to live in relationship with him, and to remain in Christ as Christ remains in him. And if Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would remain in us after he left, calling us and empowering us to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our mind, and with all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself, then love would bind all of these pieces together. Love ties the, person, the three persons of the Trinity together and ties us to them and us to each other. But there is more for us to learn from the Trinity as it relates to love. You see, we tend to default to love the way the world views love, like an emotion, a sentiment, or a passion. But Scripture, on the other hand, has layers as it relates to love, and we can learn something from the, the Trinity on this. It still has emotion, it still has sentiment and passion, but it remains connected to other elements. Jesus says, to his commands. He references commands three times in our text today, verse 15, 21, and 23, and of course, to truth. We can learn to understand love more deeply when we view it through the lens of the Trinity. In this next slide, in this next slide, you will see that it says under the, above the Father is this element of justice, and we can understand this a little bit more when we look at Isaiah 51, where he says, my justice will become a light to the nations. That's God saying that through Isaiah to the people. God saying, my justice will become a light to the nations. And if we look at the Son, that's where the truth is. Remember what Jesus said, I am the truth and the way. He also said, I am the light of the world. So God's love and light begins to shine through truth through Jesus. And if we look at Psalm 112, in the darkness, light dawns for the gracious man. That's the grace that we receive because we can't experience or give grace unless we've received it. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to be gracious to those around us. The next slide will show that these love truths, if you will, play out in the form of things like compassion, trustworthiness, and acceptance. And when we live into each of these, we begin to live into the wholeness of God. In slide seven, when we're balanced in that, we begin to live into the wholeness of God. The next slide, slide eight, when we are unbalanced in our love for God and others, we can also drift towards the darkness. We become unhealthy in how the expression of the Trinity lives out in us. When we live outside of the Christian faith, the New Testament says we live in darkness. So what does this darkness look like through the lens of the three dimensions or the three colors of love? Well, it looks like this in our next slide. 
When we stress justice and grace and forget truth, we drift into the darkness of deception. When we stress justice and truth and eliminate or forget about grace or minimize grace, we experience mercilessness. When we, re- when we stress truth and grace and we forget justice, we drift into injustice. And it becomes easy for us to drift when we aren't living into the balanced fullness of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These are the workings of the fullness of God for the blessings of the people. In his book, Cultivating God's Presence, Alan Churchill wrote this, if we want to go beyond mediocrity in our faith, if we want to go beyond mere formalities in our worship and work and our witness, then we need to cultivate the presence of God. We need to practice the presence of God and and cultivate it because it's not natural for us. We need to work on it, he says. Not to deny grace, but within God's grace to grow and mature beyond common run-of-the-mill religiosity to a dynamic faith and faithfulness, to demonstrate a difference in our spirituality to the world around us. And we do that by living into the wholeness of the gift of the Trinity, by recognizing that the Trinity, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the wonderful Counselor, the Paraclete, lives and abides in us. So our children are bang on. They have it right when they said, the Holy Spirit lives in me. The Holy Spirit walks with me. The Holy Spirit answers my prayers. I feel the Holy Spirit in my mind when I pray. Our kids have it bang on. And it's for this reason why Jesus promised an advocate, a counselor, not so that we would be left alone, not so that we would be desperate, not so that we would fear not being in proximity with God. He sent us the advocate, the counselor, because he wanted to remain in us, the Holy Spirit that is alive and well in each of us when we profess our faith in Christ. How cool is that? So why does it matter? Why does it matter? We have to go back to our text. Look at the last verses of our text. It matters because the advocate, the mighty counselor, will teach you all things and remind you of everything. The advocate, the mighty counselor, will give you peace and calm your troubled hearts because the Holy Spirit Because the Holy Spirit changes you, and it changes me. We become difference makers when we don't think we can make a difference, when we live into that power. Because through it all, through it all, the voice of truth says, I am with you. The voice of truth says, do not be afraid. And that's the comfort that we get to live in. Join me in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. When your word says you will never leave us or forsake us, that promise came true when we received on Pentecost the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for the gift of allowing us to accept that Holy Spirit into our lives when we accept you, Christ, as our Lord and Savior. Father, if there's people here that haven't made that decision, if there's ears that are hearing that need to hear more of the love and the grace that we receive through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, if there are people here 
that haven't experienced all the goodness and the love that we receive from a God, our Father, that is so, so good and so in love with us that time and time again, you picked us up. You gave us your Son. And you gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to live and abide in us so that we can do more than we can ask or imagine. That we can live abundant lives. That we can be the difference makers as we join you in your redemptive plan. Father, I pray that as a church we would not just embrace the promises that we receive from you, but that we would live them out to be the church that makes a difference in the area that you have planted us right here in Clarington. Father, we pray that you would invade this place, that you would invade our hearts, change us from the inside out. Let us hear the voice of truth that says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Amen.